0: Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and today I'm so happy to share a recent Firebird Book Award-winning author with you. She is Angela Greenman, and the winning book is titled The Child Riddler. Angela is an internationally recognized communications professional. Her intense career has spanned the spectrum from community relations in Chicago to U.S. and world governments' public communications on nuclear power. She has worked in 16 countries and has been an expert and lecturer with the International Atomic Energy Agency for over a decade. At the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commissions, she served as a spokesperson and was given a special citation for developing an agency publication which was published by the federal government. Before that, she was a press officer for the Chicago Commission on Human Relations, the city's civil rights department, where she coordinated a citywide anti-bias campaign. She has traveled the world, and now her imagination is devising plots for future novels that will feature more of the exciting places that she has been. And this is just an abbreviated bio. There's so much more, and I hope we find out. So let's get started. Welcome to the network, Angela. Thank you
1: so much. I'm thrilled to talk with you. Now, I just really want to say it's admirable how your competition support women and children in shelters who are going through hardships such as homelessness and domestic violence. And it really makes me happy through the Firebird Book Award that I had the opportunity to send some caring their way.
0: Oh, thank you for saying so. I'm glad you appreciate it because they sure do appreciate it. The the pillowcase seems like a real humble thing to send, but... You've got folks that are displaced and scared and nervous and here they are able to go to sleep on something that's pretty and happy that's a gift from someone who they don't even know and it's kind of that anonymity factor that really excites me. It's like, I don't know them, you don't know them, they don't know us, but here we are making this connection and and hoping that they could at least dream of a better place in life for their future. So thank you for sharing. I appreciate you and thank you for saying so.
1: And I really want to talk about that for a minute, because you actually took the words out of my mouth that I was thinking about, because I get teary-eyed when I actually think about your contribution of the colorful pillowcases, the sprays, the children's books. Mm -hmm. Because, like you said, to someone who has not been through with these women and children have, they probably don't realize how powerful these gifts are. But I have to tell you, I do. Mm. Because when I was a child, we were homeless for a while because of domestic violence and poverty. Oh, and my my childhood was darkness, and I really felt isolated, frightened, shamed, and maybe basically like an outcast. And those colorful handmade pillowcases really bring rays of light into the darkness they're going through. You know, like the rays of hope that somebody took the time to make something for them means that they're not alone. You know, they're not an outcast. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really interesting to me um, because of this award, not only is it an honor and I'm thrilled about it, but it made me think about a little bit about myself. Mm-hmm. And I like the colorful pillowcases, for example. I'm attracted to colorful things and I like them around me. And I really began to think about maybe my desire to have color in my life is related to my childhood, that I need color around me, I seek it because it's it just is something so uplifting and and I craved it. And also, the sprays. It's so funny. I have a few bottles of different fragrance sprays, like vanilla or coconut, on my bathroom counter. And every morning and at evening, I give myself a little spritz. <laughs> and we were, you know, I was poor growing up. We couldn't afford anything like perfume a treat like that. But the sprays do make you feel better. You know, when I breathe in the sense, I feel like I'm on vacation. I'm relaxed. So I really think those sprays are important because... You're giving for a moment to the shelter residents luxurious calmness from the terrible stress that they're going through.
0: So I do think they're powerful. Oh, I just love you. Thank you. And, and maybe only a person, <laughs> maybe only a person who has gone through it can get it. I don't, I don't know. You get it on, a, on quite a deep level. I was talking with the folk who had bought some dilapidated homes in Detroit. And uh, we're turning them into shelters for trafficked women and girls. And they said, the, the one gal said to me that, you know, we get food donations and we get clothing donations, but there's nothing special like a like you say, like a luxurious item, which to, to me doesn't seem like a luxurious item, which is, you know, a bottle of, of essential oil spray. But to someone who has nothing and is living on the streets in that horrible type of environment. And we put positive affirmations on the bottles, like I'm "Happy," "I'm fulfilled," you know, so that it, so that oh, at least that's wonderful. Yeah, at least you can ha- make that mental connection with a positive verbal affirmation and a spray with an oil that that coordinates with it. Simple gestures, but they do mean a lot.
1: And the books, you know, sending children's books—I mm-hmm. I can't tell you how wonderful that is to me because I could spend an hour talking to you about how books saved my life as a child. The stories really showed me there was another world. The world I wasn't living in was the only world. And that gave me a lot of hope. You know, mm-hmm. books are so powerful. There's a story for every need. If You you never feel empty. If you're lonely, you have friends in books. If you need an escape, there's an exciting story you can pick up. If you need hope, there's books on redemption and people overcoming hardships, which is what gave me my strength growing up um, that I was, you know, I, I had a choice. It's a possibility. I don't have to be the way I am. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, I, I, I really feel it's uh, this charitable part of Speak Up Radio is really, it says a lot about the goodness and greatness of your character path.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. And I'm fueled by the authors I meet. Many have difficult childhoods or lives and take that grief and trauma and put it into writing. And turn it into something cathartic, not only for themselves, but for the world and for readers. And there's so many positive messages and beautiful people that I meet throughout this journey. So truly it is a gift for me. You're a gift for me. Just this short conversation is a gift to me. So thank you.
1: You're hey, welcome. And I, again, I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's really warms me inside yeah. to be part of this. Well.
0: A good, congratulations then on the book win. I was happy to share that with you, and it it won well. It won in espionage thriller and techno thriller, and um, second place in action adventure and romantic suspense. I mean, that was a lot to weave together. That's a lot of genres that you pulled together into this one book. So kudos to you.
1: And I found it very interesting, also, as when I was thinking about your gifts, um, this book has also made me think about uh, again how childhood impacts you in so many ways. I didn't even think uh, till after I wrote the book, The Child Wheeler, um, and I had to explain how the book came to be as an author, that uh, I realized my main character, Zoe, she's a globe-trotting operative, um, a female-type James Bond, Jason Bourne. She really came from my dark days mm-hmm. childhood, because she was who I wanted to be when I was growing up. I wanted to beat up all the bad things in the darkness and get away from where I was. I wanted to travel. So I, I found that interesting, and I never even thought about that until after I wrote the, the book came to be.
0: That is interesting, because your background clearly is an intense background. Some of those experiences actually influenced the writing of this spy thriller, The Child Riddler.
1: Yes, um, it, it really did. Uh, I think it really all started because, like as I said, when I was a child, uh, my child was so bad, I was about 10 or 11 years old, and I was failing grammar school, actually failing it because of all the things going on. And a wonderful teacher, I think she was an angel, She said, you know, Angela, if you do some extra credit book reports, I might be able to get you to pass. And I did. I did them. I, I found... A whole new love I found that in reading stories again like I said there I'm not alone and I found that I love to write and I love to share the stories so I think that this teacher not only you know, turned my life around and letting me pass but she introduced a whole new world to me so I learned from because I love writing that I wanted to get into communication and so that it's just a beautiful tapestry when you think about all the little threads in your life and how they weave into something that you don't even expect.
0: So, so true. And the power of just that teacher and the impact one person and a small, seemingly small gesture um, can make on a, on a person's entire life, as it did yours.
1: And so I grew up in Chicago, uh, and I I'll, because of what my mother went through as a single parent, and the discrimination she went through. I had this passion for you know civil rights and housing discrimination against women and all that type of thing. And so I went to work for the Chicago Civil Rights Department, the Commission on Human Relations, where I had a wonderful opportunity to work with people from diverse backgrounds on large scale things like public meetings, events, press conferences. And I did. I was a communications person there, so I did a lot of writing and events and. But after a while, I said, you know, I think I want to move into something a little more structured. So I went to the federal government. Uh, they were seeking somebody at the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission for uh, experience in dealing with the public. Um, it's a highly technical agency, and and they needed somebody to come in who wasn't technical, but they would train me, but who really could relate to people and um, do improve their public meetings, and that's where I was. I, I was uh, one of the handful of women public affairs officers and I had twenty worked on communications for twenty six reactors in six states. Mm. And I did that for quite a long time and I enjoyed it. But timing you know in life <laughs> these things and I was an active communications professional um when Central and Eastern European countries were going through the dramatic political change, of communism, to democracy. And there was a need for communicating with the media and the public. So I was able to work uh, as an expert and workshop trainer for the International Atomic Energy Agency. And as you said, I worked in 16 countries. And I, of course, my book's world building came from all of this. But it's, it's been a fascinating journey.
0: Absolutely. I'm so happy you were able to share it in this spy thriller. Maybe give us a peek so our folks who are tuning in get an idea of what they might experience when they read your book.
1: Certainly. Um, it was published in July, so it's less than a year old, The Child of Hitler," and it was my debut thriller. And I think for fun, rather than tell you a, a summary, I'm going to pose a few questions that were in my one-minute book trailer. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to be a hero? What if you had to take a drug to make you that hero? What if you had to stop taking that drug to save yourself? Could you still be the badass and rescue a child from terror? Or would you find out that who you really are is not enough? And now I'll give you the summary. (laughs) book's about (laughs) how a top-operative Zoe uh, faces this moment of truth when she's sent to abduct a nine-year-old girl who is the only one who knows the riddle that holds the code who unleash the most lethal weapon on Earth, a cloaking nanobot spider. And Zoe abducts the young girl, but she's soon finding herself in a race to save the child, who she's grown to care about. And she's also battling the demons of her own drug addiction. And I, as you talked about, the child riddlers fits into several characters, and it's, I feel it's more of the hybrid genre of a techno-thriller, which is a detailed-oriented action-invention novel set in the contemporary world, descriptions of weaponry and espionage. And she travels to six countries, some of the countries I've been to, Austria, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, England, Italy, Malta. And I really did describe... Have an interest in technology. I, I that came from being at the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, where I attended nuclear engineering courses and well, some technical meetings, and I I learned to be interested in the future. And I I really am fascinated by the future technology of warfare weaponry, especially nanotechnology, which is the manipulation of matter on an atomic scale. And that serious to be the future of warfare. Countries are spending billions of dollars in their researching programs on cloaking. And if you think about it, the smaller it is, the more portable it is, the easier it is to hide it, and to me, what is invisible is terrifying. Mm -hmm. So for the child riddle, I chose the cloaking spider bot. I figured an invisibility weapon would be something that global military power spy agencies would want to get their hands on, thus you have action in the story.
0: Fascinating. I've been reading lately about the Philadelphia experiment uh, about making ships invisible and using electromagnetic frequencies to make ships, naval ships, invisible.
1: The, the spider bot in the book has a coating that's made of metamaterials, like microscopic structures that bend light waves, detouring them around the object, creating the illusion of invisibility, mm-hmm. invisibility. And, and you'll see that a lot of countries are, are Developing, like, trying to, like, cloaks, so when the soldiers are in the field, mm-hmm. you know, like, you're not going to be able to see them. It's just a very fascinating area. Yes, yeah, so that's one aspect of my book. The other one is, uh, the diversity of people and cultures. And I found, of course, through my travels, international travels, that's another whole area that was very profound for me. And I tried to write, bring that in my writing, um how everybody is, uh, as a vividness and, and they have just, they're complicated. People are complicated. There's a lot of different textures to them. So I, I really focus hard on that and I don't want to write about the same characters looking the same way, talking the same way. And I also have a lot of strong women in my book because again, I, I really want to celebrate strong women because I know how hard it is to be. So that's kind of the, the hybridness of the book,
0: mm-hmm. I, I think. And, and I'm so happy that our award for you was reflected in your desire for the hybrid experience in that it won things like espionage thriller and techno thriller, and yet romantic suspense.
1: I, I'm happy with that. Of course, she always talks about people say, well, I love the You did not need to do the romance. All right, that's nice to get romance in there. <laughs> so you really do have to write what you want to read. Uh, because it's been interesting, the feedback and the reviews I have, but I'm I'm pretty happy that everybody seems to be really en- enjoying the detailness of my book, which is part of the technical thriller, and and uh, the action, mm-hmm. and, and writing action is very, very difficult, because to me, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, you have to, if they do this, then this will happen, and this, and you have to make it believable, <laughs> so it, it was, very difficult.
0: A challenge for you too. That's good, though. You, as a writer, you want to be stretched. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Was there much research involved in the writing of this book?
1: Oh yeah, it's an extensive
0: mm-hmm. amount.
1: Uh, I, because of my background, I, I knew where to really seek and look for things. But of course, as you say, the the whole uh, span of cloaking and nanotechnology is is so wide widespread in so many different ways. So I had to really narrow down uh, what I wanted to do uh, and how to bring that technical information into a way that you know, fit into the story and didn't bug it down. So, yeah, it took a lot. I think 50% of the book absolutely was research. Was
0: research. Mm-hmm. So your writing process, do you write full time? Are you still working? How do you fit that in? The
1: pandemic. <laughs> pretty much uh-huh. my international work yeah. and it was good timing I i know many authors I listen to your podcast and many authors said have, have the same thing it was just kind of a life changing mm-hmm. moment and I said you know I've been working on this I this the childhood it took probably over 10 years because I was working and I could go months without writing anything and I'm researching on what I'm doing for other countries and I could write for two months and not write for four so Yeah, and I decided to do it full time and spend at least several hours a day if I can on it. Mm -hmm.
0: Are your two cats, Princess and Leah, are they helping you with the writing process?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. One uh, girl, Leah, she comes and sits on my computer chair and sits there and she purrs and purrs, like, okay, it's good that you're going to (laughs) write. And then if they're not in the background snoring.
0: (laughs) I know. I have cats myself, so it's it's a very comforting and peaceful way to work, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I love your I'm gonna listen more. I love your um is it cats eleven cats? Podcast. And there was one that you did I just uh, on dry food. And oh my gosh, I ran to the bag I had because they're on prescription for Burmese cats, they're very allergic Thanks. And I ran and read the ingredients and I'm like, Oh, that's oh, I'm okay. There's not too much of what she said in there and then I said, You know, I gotta I'm gonna change. I'm gonna try to get to get more meat and what mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for saying that. I hope that it does change the diet of some cats. Yeah, that was called my quibble with kibble. Right. (laughs) When the first cat came up on my deck, I had never had cats. And so I ran for to the store and bought a bag of Meow Mix. And I fed this poor little pregnant cat Meow Mix for several months before I uh, had a knock on the head and said, wait, let me read these ingredients. And the first was like feed grade cracked corn. And I'm thinking cats are... Carnivores and obligate carnivores. Why in the world are we feeding them corn? That just doesn't even make sense. So that just sent me on my whole journey of studying nutrition in cats, and and uh, yeah, that kind of morphed into the podcast. So uh, thank you for saying that. it Makes me feel good. I mean, I loved
1: it. I'm going to be listening to your cat podcast for sure.
0: Oh, good. good. I thought I knew
1: everything there was to know about cats. And I found out I didn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a lot more up my sleeve. So yeah, stay tuned. Well, let's get back to your book, the character writing. Now, I know that Zoe is somewhat of kind of a mishmash of you and probably people you've known or want to be. The rest of the characters, how do they come about? Did you sit down to say, okay, this is how this character is going to look, or do they show up and create themselves?
1: Mm, That's a very great question. I think it's a little of both. As I said, this evolved over quite a long period of time, and I. but I am a visual writer, and uh, I like to have at least one sheet where I I just know what the character looks like. Mm-hmm. I'll write down, you know, this tall, they weigh this much, they like to dress like this, or they have this color hair, and, and that helps me see them as real. And then as I write and get into the dialogue, I... I say, oh, that, okay, they have a little personality. It's coming out here in this way. So, yeah, I kind of pre-loosely figure out who they are because I want to visualize them in my head.
0: Mm-hmm. I know because. So I let them
1: grow a little bit.
0: That's it. So many authors say that they just uh, take off and become their own people. Um, and almost out of control of your hand, really.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I, the muse, once the muse gets going, like okay, that's their story, and you guys, you're just typing away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you've received a lot of good feedback on this book as well.
1: Yes, I've been really thrilled with uh, the review and and people talking to me about it personally. And it it makes me feel really great because I'm getting the things that people that I was hoping for that that uh, they couldn't stop reading it. They it kept turning the pages. They they loved the ending. They didn't know it was going to end that way, and they loved it. I mean, I'm getting all the things that you dream about as an author hearing, so it makes me feel really good.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any special ways that you're marketing this? How do you get this out into people's hands and build that audience so that you do get positive feedback?
1: That's the thing, uh, the, as much as the marketing is. Fortunately for me, I since I took a while to write the book, I did a lot of reading and studying of the Publishing industry and and that's part of what I do professionally. I'm a big researcher and trying to get all the information I can. And I knew of that it was going to be a thriller. It's what I wanted to write. So I I, I investigated thriller groups and there's a wonderful group, uh, International Thriller Writers, out of New York City. And they have a debut program for authors who and I signed up for that program. And they've been a wonderful support uh, and. They have a Facebook group. You know, they do Twitter, all that. So I knew that was an area, and I could get my book in their magazine and, and through their program. I got it out in the thriller world that way. And it's just the usual things. You try to find the groups and the connections that are related, and of course you have to um, initiate the contact, a contact, and go for it. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a lot, and if you don't come from that background, or if all you want to do is write, how do you even fit it in time-wise to get all of that done? It's quite a conundrum for authors, truly.
1: Oh, it, it really is, and I, I struggle with that all the time. I mean, of course, I have a marketing background, PR background, yes. so to me, the marketing part wasn't as hard, but the balancing of the time mm-hmm. You know, I'm writing my second book, and I have a tremendous amount of research because my plots are complicated on technology, and I'm trying to do all the research in the book, and I've got, there's like 10 Facebook groups I should be at, <laughs> and there's like <laughs> this and that, and I'm like, oh, I just have to figure it out.
0: <laughs> it's a challenge. I
1: actually, to, actually, honestly, to tell you the truth, uh, I get on the treadmill. I'm a, a gym rat person. I have to exercise in the afternoon, and what I do on the treadmill, I have to Put that emergency thing on me if I don't fall off the treadmill. And I'm actually doing all my social media while I'm on the treadmill.
0: Oh. That's about the only time I have. (laughs) That's great, though, to multitask and, you know, get two things done at the same time. I love that.
1: (laughs) It's so boring on the treadmill, too. But I do, uh, the great opportunity, too, is I get to listen to your podcast. I do that on the treadmill.
0: Well, there you go. Treadmill away and keep listening. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going to ask you what's next, but you just spilled the beans, that you are working on a second book. Is it a sequel to this, or is it something completely standalone?
1: It's another Wildcat story. Her code name is Wildcat, and it's going to be a sequel, but I want to also make sure it's a standalone type, where Mm -hmm. you can pick it up and not have read the first book. But yeah, it's a sequel. Good.
0: Well, we can look forward to that. (laughs) So, are we missing anything as we begin to wrap up? I want to make sure we're not uh, forgetting about something that you wanted to talk about today.
1: Well, so I just wanted to share a little bit of. Um, despite my childhood, I'm a very happy person, and I could talk to you for another, again for an hour about ways to be a happy person. Mm-hmm. And and and, but one of the things that got me where I was, and I think a lot of new authors and people entering, you know, in a different business where it's highly competitive and can be very depressing, rejection. For me, what got me from being a homeless child in piece of Chicago to a, a woman leader on the international stage was I have a single-minded, positive, forward-looking focus. It's, I just discovered there's so much power in the mental focus, and I was a competitive archer for a while, and you can be an archer, you can only look and think about that bullseye in front of you, and if you let your mind wander even for a second, your arrow, arrow is just going to go astray, even just for like one second. So this mental state is really how I was able to professionally be su- professionally successful and now that the glass you stop stopped me. So never give up. There's always a way around an obstacle, and if you want it, you can have it, but you never take your eyes off it. And you have to go get it because no one's going to give it to you. I want. I hope that helps somebody.
0: When you're down and out and feeling really alone and lonely, where do you find that? Like, where does that come from?
1: Well, <laughs> that's what it did for me when I was uh, I, when I was young. I, someone gave me The Boxcar Children by Gertrude Chandler Warner, and it was about four or- orphan siblings that take care of each other. Right. Their father died. Yeah. And that just had a profound impact on me because I bonded with them, and I, I just I can't even tell you how it gives you hope that if you hear somebody else going through something, you know you're not alone, and 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 you hear a success story or see that they can get out, you focus on that, mm-hmm. focus on well they did it, I can do it, you know I'm going to get this goal and show the world that I can do it, you know uh, there's got to be another way around it.
0: Yeah, maybe it is something that I don't know. Yeah, I know, I I'm know. On that, but I think people like you and conversations like we are having today, we have no idea who this may help. So you are such an inspiration, just just plain and simple, Angela Greenman. The book is titled The Child Riddler. Share with us, then, if you would, where folks can find out more about you, if they want to contact you directly for some inspirational thoughts, and where they can get copies of your book.
1: Thank you. I think the best place is my website, uh, which is my name, AngelaGreenman.com. On there I have um, links to my social media. I'm on, I'm on everything, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. But um, there's links on my website to them and also a little bit about the book and where you can get the books. The book's available everywhere.
0: <laughs>
1: so, hope, But yes, it would be wonderful to um, connect with people. Anybody who wants to reach out, it would be wonderful.
0: Oh, thank you. I am so thrilled we met. You know, as I said at the top, this Firebird Book Awards is truly a gift for me. I get to meet people like you, and I I come away from this conversation so buoyed and excited and inspired. And I know that folks listening will feel the same way too, just your generosity and and love for life. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Angela Greenman, The Child Riddler, the website is AngelaGreenman.com. So all my love to you and to Princess and Leah. (laughs)
1: Thank you.